Welcome to Trainer HL Talks, a podcast about architecture, planning, and design trends, as well as current events and noteworthy topics in the field. I am your host, Megan Brock, introducing today's topic, National STEM Day. In honor of National STEM Day, the architects and designers here at Trainer HL have been thinking a lot about what STEM means to them and how it affects their professional and personal lives. With STEM-related occupations expected to grow 70% faster than others, we have an opportunity and a responsibility to share our insights and perspectives with young and aspiring professionals. To capture the spirit of STEM, we caught up with a few of our science and technology staff and asked them to share their experience working in a STEM field. Following our introductions of who you'll be listening to on this episode. My name is Andy. I am an architect. This is Dave Livingood, and I'm a principal at Trainer HL. Tim Reynolds, principal, Trainer HL, Science and Technology Group. My name is Kyle Tinsman. I'm an architectural designer. My name is Micah Davis. I am a designer. My name is Mark Muller. I'm a project manager for Trainer HL. Well, my name is Carla Bredeja, and I am a designer for higher education. My name is Patrick Jones. I'm a principal. My name is Jeff Davis. I'm an associate principal. I am Jerome Ratzliff. I am an associate principal with Trainer HL and part of the Science and Technology Group. After sitting down with the staff ready to talk about STEM, I thought a good place to start would be with a pop quiz. What does STEM stand for? Science, Technology, Engineering, and Math. Science, Technology, Engineering, and Mathematics. Acronym STEM. When I was in school, that that term did not exist, um, at least that I know of. I use technology in every day, and I learn about technology pretty much every day, not only at work, but I do at home. It, it's, it's really different now than when I was going through school because I look at some of the things that we are doing today for students and the spaces that we're designing and the focus on uh, team building and collaboration and multidisciplinary. There was none of that when I went to school. STEM, to me, collects four different elements that are really all part of the same larger thing. There is no engineering without math. There is no technology without engineering. There is no science without math. Mark has a point. The National Science Foundation defines STEM as fields that are collectively considered core technological underpinnings of an advanced society. If this sounds complex, that's because it is. It takes many disciplines to come together to solve today's problems, or even do something simple like listen to music or watch a movie. My hobbies vary, and every time from music to uh, woodworking to renovating old houses, and I'd say they're definitely all tied into STEM. I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old right now. Most of my hobbies are not completely STEM-related, but I do want to make sure that they're invested in understanding what it is. There's a TED Talk that talks about the gamification of science the Fitbit and all the information that that contains. I mean, I think everybody these days, especially on the technology side of things, we're always using technology in our work. And for the most part, it's kind of, we take it for granted, except of course, when it doesn't work. (laughs) STEM seems to be clearly rooted in what we do, where we work and how we spend our free time. 
It's a popular term used in educational and professional fields. A more recent term rising in popularity is the acronym STEAM. The additional letter A for arts has been working its way into the conversation, and I wanted to get our staff's input. So the acronym STEAM comes from adding an A, which is uh, specific to arts. A breakdown of humanities, language arts, dance, drama, music. One only has to look at the physics of, of music and uh, color and form to understand that there is a relationship there that transcends both fields. I think art is inherent in all the sciences and what it does. A lot of engineering projects started from art, like building a physical model, like, like how, how, how do you like things to look like? Um, and then it's like, how do you want it to function? And after that, it gets into engineering and science and tech. Without art, graphic arts, or other arts, we wouldn't be as effective in any of the STEM disciplines. So it's about communication, and art is about communication as much as it is anything else. Leonardo da Vinci was not only a great scientist, but he was also a, a wonderful artist. What's interesting about the staff's consideration of art's place in STEM is that all of their narratives place art not as an added element or extra discipline, but as both a product of and a precursor to STEM. While some see art as enabled by the understanding of STEM disciplines, others see STEM as enabled by the right side of our brains. Art specifically, music, uh, drama, all those things start to, I think, train the brain to think outside the box. Architecture is really a molding of like art and the design side and then um, with the mathematics and engineering side to it kind of mixed together. We're working on a project right now that's in the early design phase where the project that we are working on will involve maker spaces and project spaces and interdisciplinary studios that are focused more specifically on the arts. The specific building has chemistry classrooms, but it also has um, architecture and design studios, painting and drawing studios. When you walk in the front door, you get a sense for how the maker spaces and project spaces and chemistry all fit together within the building. One of the things we've been discussing a lot in the planning meetings is display spaces throughout the building. Science students will have posters and things on display, but the same time we'll have art students in there and architecture students putting their work on display. While there are functions going within the buildings, it's the art side, whether it be through a graphic, whether it be through uh, science on display, things like that. Those are the emotional drivers that connect people. They also uh, educate people and inspire people. This is probably a project that's leading in the integration of the arts into the traditional STEM disciplines. Whether you call it STEM or STEAM, these fields are growing faster than most others in the workforce, and the demand for trained professionals is high. But how do we get into these fields? What inspires or pushes us to pursue a career in STEM? I asked our staff why they decided to work in architecture and what they like about it. I have an older brother and a younger brother, and um, 
when we were going to high school, my older brother graduated. He was valedictorian in a class of, in a class of about 500 people. And he went to the University of Colorado to be an aerospace engineer. And then I came along and they said, well, what are you going to do? And I said, well, I suppose I'm going to be an engineer because I know both of my brothers are going to be engineers. I bought my first calculator when I was in high school physics class. It was a, a Texas Instruments calculator and it weighed about a pound or a pound and a half. If you dropped it on your toe, it would hurt. My mom is a plumbing engineer. So I used to uh, go to her office when I was a kid. And, and at the time, she was like still drawing by hand on a big drawing board. My dad took some drafting classes in junior college. And so I always had all of his drafting tools. I had his compass and his T-square and his triangles. And, and so I guess I was always just kind of fascinated one of the reasons I've decided over the last 20 years to focus efforts primarily on higher ed and primarily on science, technology, engineering, and mathematics projects is because it has such a huge impact for all of us. And I was reminded of that this summer, which was the 50th anniversary of the Apollo mission where we landed and walked, men walked on the moon. Thinking of the technology that existed at that time for, and, and for people being willing to trust that technology to climb into a, a rocket that will go four or five times the speed of a bullet, that's, I find that very intriguing to see what they do, but then what can we do to help support uh, that research and where they're going. If you look at the engineering and the science that it took to do that and how far we've come today in terms of, you know, they had rooms full of com huge computers that were cranking out calculations. And we probably have as much power in our laptop as they did in some of those large mainframe rooms. And it's all because of advances in STEM. Buzz Aldrin came to talk to our junior high school and he taught us how to make a paper airplane. And it was such a enlightening thing to have this person this, who had done amazing things teach you how to make a paper airplane. And so every time, whatever with the kids or nephews and nieces were making paper airplanes, I'd break out the one that Buzz Aldrin taught me how to Trainer HL's science and technology studio works almost exclusively with higher education clients to design environments fit for the next STEM professionals. I asked the staff what our clients have been up to and how this affects students interested in these fields. Their research is always fascinating. I've seen everything from uh, nuclear research, um, biohazard, there's one studying um, cotton. The most recent project I worked with, we worked with University of North Texas, they had just, well, a few years ago had, had just grant, got granted approval to start a biomedical engineering program. And so they didn't really have their space. And this is the first year that they actually graduated somebody to start to finish from their program. But we, we were tasked with helping them create a space that was an addition to an existing building. I've always enjoyed 
every project that I've worked on for science and tech thus far. But a clear standout would be the Zachary Engineering Education Complex. And it was just such a unique building. I mean, it was, it was incredible. We've been working with UTESA in San Antonio for a, college, for a science and engineering building. Texas Tech is, is a great example of why is it that we do our labs that we do? Why are they different? Where we would have wet labs, any type of research that we do. I think the research is becoming more and more just like the education, more collaborative, more interdisciplinary. I think that the focus on um, creating spaces to allow students to be in buildings more to actually allow them to be on campus, to allow them to socialize, not just study together, but socialize together on campus. That allows them to see what other um, disciplines are doing and work with other disciplines. I, I think that can only benefit all of us long-term. We're not just creating spaces for science, we're creating spaces for scientists, for people. Space matters, right? I mean, it matters to the way you approach things, the way you enjoy the work you do, but also the way you're able to collaborate. I think it's interesting that what we do is important uh, in terms of providing them the space, but the space that we provide is only a tool. They're the ones that are making the difference for all of us. They're doing things that um, you know, are gonna change the world. As a firm and as contributors to the environments that help develop future STEM professionals, we care about space. In 2015, we completed an engineering facility expansion at the University of Kansas. It incorporated new active learning and collaboration concepts for students. A year later, we went back to this facility and observed how the spaces were really being used. This is called a post-occupancy evaluation. Our evaluation showed that students were not only using, but thriving in these spaces. Since then, facilities such as the Zachary Building at Texas A&M are leading efforts to transform STEM education. If you ask any of these clients if space matters, they'll say absolutely. When we talked to the students at KU, they got it. They, you know, you, you walk through K, the LEAP2 project or you walk through the Zachary project and the students are using those spaces. You don't even have to stop and talk to them. They understand what it means to them. And that's really rewarding. When you walk through unannounced or whatever, you, know, you see the students using the spaces, you see the engagement. Those are the moments that just kind of make you really proud of what you've done. You can walk through the hallways and you see all the STEM related fields in action. So you, you can see science as it's being made. That's my favorite part. I mean, every time I go, I'm, I'm just glued to the window. It's, I mean, normally in this day and age, you have to worry about people walking into things because they're staring at their phone. But in this instance, I have to worry about walking into things because my curiosity is being enraptured by what's happening in the labs, by what's happening in the, the maker space, by what's happening in the classrooms. Science labs and science classrooms are no longer in the basement and, and hidden from everything. Whatever we space we create, it can't be so rigid that it always has to remain uh, with the original design intent because in 10 years that's going to change. So STEM is pretty important for what we do as architects. But when asked how STEM hits home personally, most were pretty quick to answer. Alzheimer's. My mom died of Alzheimer's, 
and it is the most, um, I can't imagine a more dehumanizing disease than Alzheimer's. It's, I think it's a growing challenge. We're going to see a crisis in um, senior care simply because we don't have the answers for diseases like dementia and Alzheimer's. Well, I certainly think that our human condition would be better understood and potentially improved if we had a better understanding of neuroscience and brain chemistry and how it affects our behavior. And there's a lot of brain research going on now. There's a lot in facilities that we've helped design and um, particularly at the Bar Shop Institute in, in, at the UT Health in San Antonio. Uh, it's a major focus for my mom in her memory. I hope they, I hope they find the causes and the cures. I am concerned about what's happening with our environment today. As I watch my granddaughter and think about the world that we're going to leave for her, uh, it, that, that scares me. And so I guess as I, I think about it, there, you know, while, while the technology with the internet and, and just being able to do things at such a smaller scale is important, I hope the large scale things on the earth we can, we can address and resolve in different ways. In terms of architecture and engineering, we're, we're headed to a, uh, a neutral, carbon neutral goal, at least in this country and I think around the world. The buildings that we create uh, do not add to uh, the carbon that's already in the planet, that's already in the atmosphere. I think energy production, I mean, and this goes into the moving away from fossil fuels for uh, a greener energy. There's a lot of different natural sources, but none of them compare as a whole yet to what we're currently producing with fossil fuels. As far as sustainability, it has to become second nature. It has to be something that we just like, we just do it. Right now, we just see a lot of people with pouring into big cities and traffic gets more and more congested. It hits two worlds. It hits the every day at home for people sometimes, you know, do I have food to eat? Do I have, is there power and energy to provide? Or are we over consuming or not over consuming? But it's also the one that's probably used the biggest as a political weapon in terms of who has the oil, who has whatever resources, controls the things globally. There's not enough money to go around. And, but there's a lot of really smart people that are working on the problems and uh, we owe them our best efforts. Most of us have causes that mean something to us personally, driving us to seek solutions or help others seek solutions that move us forward. So how can we be a part of the solution? Where do architects come in? We have to listen to the people that are dreaming these dreams. And we have to figure out what questions that we need to ask so that what the spaces that we plan and design for them actually help them do their jobs. You know, sometimes we'll go in and we're just solving a problem. It, it may not actually be a building. They may come in with this issue that they're dealing with and we find out, hey, you really don't need a new building. What we need to do is take where you're at right now and rearrange it and make it more efficient from that standpoint. The way that we interact with clients is vastly different. Um, you know, we go in as like very much of a team approach um, that, you know, we're building this building with you, not for you. I'm not better than you. You're not better than me. It's, it's a team approach. 
it's something that professionally you feel like you're a part of. I mean, the architect is the smallest domino. The school that comes to us looking for a design is a larger domino. The building is an even larger domino. And then the students that uh, are produced by learning in that facility are the largest domino because they're the ones that are going to change the future. And that's what we're a part of. What we can offer, I think, is we've seen new innovations. We've seen what newer buildings have been doing. A lot of the new pedagogies, a lot of the new ways of teaching, potentially new ways of setting up laboratories that they may not be familiar with. It's basically allowing them to push their research farther and to possibly even kind of branch out into different areas or discover things that they haven't quite thought of yet. In our designs, we like to make our the what we design dynamic so people can utilize it to best fit their needs and those needs are constantly changing. Depending on the workflow and the pattern of what they will be doing in that room is what creates this, the space. That's that's part of the challenge is we have to design facilities you know, that, that exist for 60, 70, 80 years, but yet we're using a user group that represents the now. And a lot of times, a lot of those users, a lot of those stakeholders are focused solely on their research and what they're doing. So we have to help provide perspective to them and meet the needs and challenges that they have today, but also help think and project about what's going to be happening in the future, the ability for the building to adapt, adjust, be flexible to support not just their research, but all the research to come. To see how the, the students come in and are so excited to be in the space that, that was created and you begin to see them studying in the spaces that we were hoping they were, seeing them beginning to engage with the with their professors in different ways, um, and it's just it's fun to watch that happen. A job well done is uh, designing a space where students want to be, where they want to learn. It's designing a space that inspires them, that encourages them to explore STEM to the betterment of humankind. If I could drive by a building and turn to my grandkids and say, you know what they do in that building? They find the cures for cancer, or they find the cures for mental illness, or they find the cures for Alzheimer's or dementia, or the things that are impacting uh, our families so dramatically uh, every day then that will be a career well served. A job well done is important for all of us. But how we're getting it done is a process that has seen some change over time. I asked our staff what they've noticed change in the process of architecture as they've entered various stages in their careers. The undergraduates are just, you're, they're not afraid to fail. In a way, you're not, you're not afraid to fail, whereas the graduate students, they've gone through undergraduate. Now they're making, they're paying more money and more investment to go to graduate school and they have to succeed. So they're afraid of failure. I kind of envy that fearlessness from, from some of the younger people, some of the recent grads. Perhaps the young people coming up now and even the children right now, uh, probably technology appears to them before science and before mathematics. You know, they have tablets and their phones and whatnot, their parents, things that are around the house, you know, we're surrounded by technology today. I think it's common amongst the older generation to approach 
uh, architectural design from a sketching perspective, draw it out. And the newer generation, when we're designing, we concentrate, well, not concentrate, but we're more fluent in computer generation. And that's exploding right now, considering that we're integrating virtual reality. Uh, you can now make rendering extremely quickly. So you can throw something together. An hour later, you'll have something that you can virtually walk through, whether it be on uh, virtual goggles or something that's on your screen. So I, I kind of really like that people actually do hand sketches. Um, I think that really helps, especially during early stage of design, uh, helps you express your thoughts um, much better than uh, computer modeling. But what I feel is right now, uh, young people just don't know how to hand sketch anymore. So I think there's lessons both ways. There's expertise that can be shared to the younger staff, but the idea of being open to new ideas and new strategies and new perspectives is what the older staff can learn from the new staff. As current professionals, we have a responsibility to help future STEM leaders learn from our mistakes and use our knowledge to be better. If you're a student in any STEM field, this advice is for you. Number one, don't be afraid to fail. If I were talking to uh, students in my era, I would say reach out and find um, find people that have this share the same passions and work together with them. Take as much math and science as you possibly can. I think study abroad should be absolutely required for architecture. The life experience that you gain just by being in a place that's nowhere near your home, plus the ability to see all the different uh, buildings that you've always seen, like in architecture, you know, it's like uh, these great buildings across the world. You actually get to go see them and experience them. And we encourage any STEM student to branch outside of their specific discipline. Keep the first few years as general and free thinking as possible, but then use the last few years to actually kind of layer in some reality so that people are more prepared coming out. You know, I went into architecture straight out of high school on a path. This is what I wanted to do. I graduated with a master's degree in my early 20s, and I feel like I didn't live. Take your time to figure out what you want to do because the 17 or 18-year-old kid is not the same person that is 25 or 26. Everyone's going to get the fundamental basics, and that's how you're going to get your degree. But your success later on is how well you work in teams, how well you can motivate others, how well you motivate yourself. As already been part of a, being part of a firm, I would say you trust your team. When, when I think of uh, STEM and what we're doing, we have some of the most talented people in the world working right here with us. And they know making a difference doesn't come with any grand pats on the back and it doesn't matter. And our team knows it doesn't matter. And they're equally as proud to be standing in the audience and people listening to people around them say, wow, what a great building. And they don't have to say anything because they know that they were part of it. And that's good enough for them. After listening to the staff elaborate on why these activities and enabling technologies matter to them, we realize something. STEM Day isn't just about celebrating that knowledge is power, but knowledge is also empowering. What we do know inspires us to consider what we don't and to approach it as a challenge. This is Megan Brock with TrainerHL, thanking you for joining us on this episode of TrainerHL Talks. 
Trainer HL is a national architecture, planning, and design firm located in the United States. The company holds a firm belief in sharing resources and insights with professionals, clients, and building users to shape the spaces we use to live and grow as people. For more information, visit trainerhl.com. That's T-R-E-A-N-O-R-H-L dot com.